What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, because if you don't dedicate part of your week to generating time-leveraged income, it's not like that's just going to magically happen for you one day. Today's guest is one of my favorite examples of someone who's done just that, starting out repairing motorcycles on the side in his garage, but turning that hours for dollars side hustle into something with a lot more scale. Back for his third round on the Side Hustle Show, Matt Boknock from HowToMotorcycleRepair.com. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Nick. How you doing? Thanks for having me back a third time. That's, that's awesome. It's, it's pretty rare air at this point. You're, you're one of the very few. As memory serves, I'm going back to when we first recorded 2016, you described uh, turning wrenches, basically fixing bikes in the garage, and that was accounting for about half the income, but the other half was coming from digital product sales or kind of video downloads of like, I've recorded myself, you know, doing these full engine rebuilds and you can buy them over here through Gumroad. The business at that time, if I recall, was doing around a thousand bucks a month. If we fast forward to our most recent recording in 2019, the business had grown four or five X. All of a sudden, the uh, hours for dollars, the turning wrenches time was basically down to essentially zero. The money at that time was coming from a combination of digital product sales, YouTube ad income, affiliate commissions from the YouTube videos. Like, hey, here's the product that I'm using. Well, let me link out to that. You had some uh, community support, some uh, Patreon support. You had some sponsored content relationships. You had a really diversified income stream. But now we forced fast forward again to 2022. It looks like that revenue has taken another four or five X jump and uh, just catch us up. What's been going on uh, since we, since we left off. Yeah. So I don't actually do any service work anymore. And I actually shut that site down that generates leads. So that's completely out of the picture now for one. And then I just kept marching forward um, with producing content on YouTube to hopefully generate more YouTube ad revenue. And we talked about this last time where it's like, well, I was like, if you, if you stop, fixing bikes, where do you get content? And you said, well, I go out and buy like project bikes and stuff like that. Is that still the case? Yeah. So if I need something at, at this point, I just go out and buy it. And then I do what I need to do to it. Um, usually it increases in value because now I've, I have fixed this broken thing and then I can resell it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So it's just, now the content is making you money in, in multiple different ways. Sure. Yeah. And in addition, I just kept trying to create products, uh, video tutorials that I can sell. So I kept adding to my library so that those numbers have increased. I designed my own physical product last year and I started selling that all over the world. And that has been a real nice bump in, in revenue for sure. Okay. Yeah, we'll get into that. So expanding the digital product inventory, these are the, you know, makes and models of like how to you know, step-by-step how to do a certain repair. That That's kind of the gist of who this these digital downloads are for. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're very niche. Um, it's for a certain model, certain repair job. You know, it applies to a, a segment of years, you know, a generation of bike, but it's, it's a very specific repair. For example, uh, how to rebuild your engine or how to rebuild your carburetors on a certain model. Okay. Can you give me a sense of the size of that library at this point? How many of these do you have? Uh, I probably have like 30 or so digital products that I sell. Um, actually, I haven't really counted, but if I, if I were to guess about 30 or so. Okay. And I imagine there's an 80-20 to that of like, well, these are the most popular ones that generate the bulk of the revenue. 
Are people finding those primarily through the YouTube channel or is your SEO strong enough that if people search in this problem on this bike, like you automatically show up? Yeah. So a little bit of both, but I would say YouTube is the number one lead magnet or generation for getting people to buy the product. Okay. And these aren't necessarily like online courses. Like I'm going to walk you through. It's more like, uh, you know, here's this file. And I think you said you were streaming them from Gumroad or something in the past. Is that still the case or what's the delivery mechanism? Yes. I still use Gumroad today. Okay. YouTube, I noticed was up to a hundred thousand subscribers. Like you're pretty, uh, YouTube, pretty big YouTube celebrity at this point. I forget what it was previously. I figured maybe it was like 10,000 when we first recorded. So it's grown uh, quite a bit since then too. Talk to me a little bit about the YouTube strategy, the constant content plan that has to keep going to kind of feed this, this channel and this personality that you built over there. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks on the hundred K I, uh, uh, submitted the request for my silver play button. So I'm waiting for that thing to show up any day now, but, uh, <laughs> they don't send it to you automatically. No, you have to go through like a verification process and, and whatnot and, and order it. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I don't know how long it takes. It, it's not here yet. So, <laughs> but you know, I started in 20, what, 11, early 2012. So it's taken 10 years to grow to that hundred K. Yeah. Um, so not necessarily the fastest growing channel or biggest channel out there, but I mean, you know, a slow, steady growth. And I just try to post uh, two, at least two videos a month. And just, I, I don't know, I just find stuff that's broken and I just post videos on how to fix it on the channel. I mean, it's pretty simple, actually. How are you finding this broken stuff? Well, friends and family show up or I buy projects that are popular, like on forums and stuff like that a popular model. And then usually when you get, you know, let's say a motorcycle, all the common problems uh, need to be addressed. Um, you know, the engine is seized or the carburetors are dirty or whatever. And, and that just makes for good content. I mean, that's exactly what you're going to find if you decide to buy an old bike. Okay. When I was working at Ford, they would put out these TSBs, the technical service bulletins on kind of common problems that would pop up. Is there anything like that in your industry where it becomes somewhat common knowledge that, yeah, this is, if you've had this car, or if you've had this bike for any length of time, this is probably going to go wrong at some point. And, you know, here's how to, here's how to fix it. So you create content around that. Yeah. So there's a certain model uh, that my friend owned um, and the engine blew up on him. And it just turns out it was, it's a very common problem or failure point on this model in year range. So I put up the video or I, I decided to sell the video and it, it sells really well because tons of people are having the same issue and they, they find the rebuild video. It will help them. They buy it and, uh, you know, it just works out that way. Yeah, for sure. How do you figure out what to put behind the paywall behind the gum road, you know, digital download paywall versus what's going to be free on YouTube for the sake of discovery? Yeah, so something that is advanced will go behind the paywall. So an engine rebuild, I mean, it, it that's usually three, four hours worth of video on how to do it. And once you get into, you know, the valve train of the engine, the transmission, a bunch of gears and springs and all this stuff, I mean, that's really advanced. I, I, I charge for stuff like that. Okay. And then on the YouTube side, this is more... Yeah, so yeah, on the YouTube side, you know, quick, easy tips something that 
it is an advance, but it's still a good topic to cover. Like for instance, what kind of oil should you run in your bike or maybe an oil change or changing out cables or a battery or tires, something that's pretty uh, basic or intermediate uh, on the skill level. Is the audience feeding you those questions at this point? Sometimes they do. Once we get in a little later into the physical product, that was definitely audience driven. But generally, I try to come up with my own content. That's always the challenge. And I'm grateful to have people asking me questions all day long in a way. And I apologize that I can't answer anybody or everybody individually. But it is. It's like, this is future content. If somebody has this question, odds are other people have this. So that's potential podcast content, blog content, video content. What's the YouTube channel worth in terms of, you know, driving product sales or an estimate of uh, monthly, you know, AdSense video earnings, something like that, even affiliate commissions, if you have it tracked that granularly? Yeah. So, I mean, right now, uh, last year, I almost hit 2000 a month average for YouTube ad revenue. Okay. Yeah. So I'm trying to just, this gives, gives a sense of like, okay, I've been at this for 10 years, which I appreciate you saying that. And I've got, you know, two grand a month for, from YouTube ads. So if that's, if that's your game plan, you know, good on you, but it's probably going to have to, you're probably gonna have to have something else uh, to, to supplement that if you want to be a full-time YouTuber or just, you know, get to a million subscribers and you see if it scales from there. And if you remember back on my first episode, I was complaining that my monetization was uh, turned off and I, it was um, yeah. canceled or whatever. So that's the time I started exploring other options. I'm like, okay, well, if YouTube's not going to give me money, well, then I got I to gotta find out somewhere else where to get it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then that is translated into all these digital product sales and, and all the other revenue channels that you have today. Um, so YouTube drives the digital product sales. Are you comfortable sharing a sense of what those are doing on a, on a typical month? Yeah. So last uh, year, let's see, uh, a, little one, a little under 4200 a month in just video sales uh, through Gumroad. Okay. Yeah, that's up significantly since when we last recorded in 2019. So that's pretty exciting stuff. Is the affiliate piece of the pie still worth <laughs> worth mentioning? Is this just kind of like bonus money that comes in from Amazon or other products, stores that you recommend people check out? Every little bit counts. Uh, I'm floating it around uh, about 400 a month through uh, Amazon affiliates. Okay. It's not nothing. Yeah, but it's something I, I definitely shouldn't focus on. You know, I mean, I, I tried it and it's like, okay, this, these are the numbers it generates. Okay, well, maybe I should focus elsewhere, you know, but uh, it's something. Anything else on the revenue side before we talk about this new, new invention, new physical product spinoff? Uh, no, let's just jump right into it. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. 
And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. All right. So I'm, you know, <laughs> from the world of online business where you're like, I, you know, I've got this great content machine. People pay me for digital videos. Uh, I make affiliate commissions. YouTube pays me. And then you're like, I want to throw a, a wrench, uh, pun intended, into the whole thing and try and do this physical product. Now I've got to deal with logistics and manufacturing and all this other stuff that you didn't have to deal with before. But let's take it back to the beginning and, and talk about you know the idea, the inspiration to even attempt such a thing. Sure. Yeah. And and let me start off by saying, you know, I'm an engineer and I work in manufacturing environments and whatnot. I I never really wanted to get into physical products for various reasons, right? You got to deal with inventory and quality issues and all kinds of stuff. So that's why I've been focusing on digital sales and whatnot, make it totally passive. But this product made a lot of sense and it's selling really well. So let me back up to the beginning. And back in, I think, 2017, 2018, I came across a machine or a process called vapor blasting that restores parts for motorcycles, cars, you name it. And I was like, whoa, this thing's awesome. So I contacted the company for potential sponsorship and they said, yeah, sure, we'll send you a machine. I'm like, all right, great. And uh, some time went on and no machine showed up. So I gave them a call and even visited them. And they said, no, you know, we, we can no longer offer you this but you can buy it for $4,000. And I'm like, ah, no thanks, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. so for those of you that don't know what vapor blasting is, um, I'm sure you're familiar with what sandblasting is, correct, Nick? Sandblasting, pressure washing. Like I, I have yeah. a sense of where we're going with this. So it, sandblasting is taking dry media like sand, crushed glass, or whatever, some kind of abrasive material, and you um, siphon feed it to a blast gun, and then you take compressed air and you accelerate it. And you hit the part with this media and it strips off rust, paint, whatever for restoration. And then, and then you would go and paint the part or whatever. Vapor blasting, however, uses water to carry the media into a slurry to the gun. And then you blast it towards the part. And the benefits of it is you can use a finer media 
and there's some kind of like flushing action and it turns like aluminum looking brand spanking new. It's just amazing. So this process, it was like invented in the 1950s or something like that. And it wasn't too, too popular until, you know, recently all of a sudden all these companies are making these and whatnot. So all these hobbyists want this machine to, you know, help restore all the parts because cleaning and restoring parts is like the biggest pain in the butt when you're working on a bike. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So I'm like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not buying this machine. I don't need it. And then I had a long drive home and I'm like thinking in my head, I'm like, "I I bet you I could build one, you know? And, uh, so I started brainstorming and I, I started looking at patents to make sure there was no patents out there on, on what I was trying to do. And, and ultimately, I came up with a machine and I, I videotaped how I did it, put a parts list together, and I put a set of plans together so that people can buy the plans and uh, build it themselves. So, and I sell those for $69.99. I have a $149 option and a $199 option, all different tiers of what kind of content they get and what kind of machine you want to build and whatnot. Um, So those plans alone sell great all over the world and makes up about $2,700 a month of the $4,200 of video sales. So it's a large chunk of just that portion of income. Oh, interesting. This is no longer plans on how to fix the bike. This is plans on how to build your own vapor blaster. Yes. You know, tons of motorcycle guys use it, car guys, you know, it's, it's beneficial for a lot of different industries actually. Okay. This is like reminiscent of like Russell Brunson in his books. He always talks about you know his early days of internet marketing, like trying to sell plans on how to build a potato gun or something. So this sounds, uh, sounds similar to that. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, the cheapest machine is three, $4,000 and you can get up to $8,000 with all the bells and whistles. And I have plans that show you how to get all those features for a lot less money. And it's not that hard to build. Okay. For someone who's less handy than, than you are, like myself, it sounds a little intimidating, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to uh, weld together this vapor blaster thing. But well, yeah, there's no, there's no welding. Um, you just need a drill and, uh, you know, basic hand tools. And, you know, I go through all the electrical on it and everything, how to connect each wire in the control box and everything. I mean, it's, it's 10 plus hours of video. I mean, step by step, you know? All right. It's like Lego for grownups. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the plans are selling great and everything. And then, um, as time went on, someone mentioned, Hey, you should try this blast gun from so-and-so company. It speeds up the process about two times. And I'm like, oh yeah, great. Cause you know, that that's the hardest thing. You don't want to stand in front of this thing for eight hours and, and process your parts. You if you can do it in four hours, that'd be great, right? So, you know, I bought this gun and I actually did a video review on it and I recommended it to tons of people and it was awesome, right? But as time went on, I started getting emails from people saying, Hey, I can't contact this company. Where do I buy it? They don't have a website. And then the lead time was always six to eight weeks or whatever. So the company wasn't really doing a good job of fulfilling the demand. And I also asked the owner, hey, will you allow me to distribute 
this product for you and I, I maybe I can earn a little bit of money or whatever. And he, he's like, oh, let me think about it. And he never got back to me. So then I'm like, well, why don't I just design my own gun and sell it? So that's what I did. Basically, I started designing it in CAD. And then once I got to a decent uh, design, I, I, bought, I bought a 3D printer off Amazon for 200 bucks. And I was able to 3D print the actual parts and throw it in the machine and test it. And I got to a design that worked really well and got some quotes from local machine shops of how much this thing would kind of cost. And then I, I started a YouTube video of showing my audience like, hey, I have this design. Here's how much it would roughly cost. Who wants one? And it sparked the conversation. Okay. Yeah. So, and then a couple of iterations later and, and whatnot, uh, I, I try to address all the questions that people had or all the features that it wanted, people wanted. And I put it up on pre-order and basically said, hey, this is a go if I get X amount of pre-orders. How many were you looking for? So I told the audience, hey, I'm going to order a batch of 50. And I told them, hey, I need like 30. You want to have 30 of them spoken for before committing to this production run? Yeah, because it was like eight, seven, eight thousand dollars worth of inventory that okay. I have to purchase. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, and in my head, I'm like, you know what? If I get 10, 15, it's a go. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, like I want to do this thing. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, I, I went ahead and ordered it, and then the pre-orders kept creeping up, and I, I actually fulfilled, sold all the pre-orders prior to ever receiving the product from from the vendors. They were all spoken for before I even had to pay the bill to the vendors. Which okay, was and this wasn't Kickstarter or anything. This was just kind of through your own audience, your own platform. Right. Um, I did. Uh, Gumroad had the option to uh, pre-order a product. Okay. So, and what what that means is that the customer inputs the credit card data. It gets checked, verified, so that way when you release the product all the funds come in. That worked out great. So, you know, those sold out. And then the next batch, I'm like, all right, I'm going all in. And I, I, I order batches in like 160 pieces now just to have enough and get the, the volume discounts. Okay. So no longer 3D printing these things, but going to the local machine shop and saying, I need, I need 150, I need 160 of these. Yeah. I mean, the 3D printed parts were just for, uh, to verify on my end, I did not ship any 3D printed parts. In fact, they will they will fail. I have. <laughs> well, that's, I was like, kind of impressed that it was like it's going to hold up to this high oh, pressure no, no, paper. No, no, no. I mean, I have exploded them. They wore out. I mean, th- 3D print, 3D printing. You know, I, I use it at work all the time. It's just to verify a concept, and in some cases, it, it can be a functional part where there's no stresses and whatever. But in this environment, you actually need metal parts. It's, it's funny because some people actually asked, "Hey, can can I can you just sell me a three D printed part?" I'm like, "No, dude, it's not going to last. You're, you're you'd be wasting your money." And in fact, there are some people out there, some competition, if you will, that that sell three D printed guns and and they hold up for a while, but it's nothing that's going to last you a long time. Okay, yeah. So the price point on this is two hundred fifty bucks for this like gun nozzle looking thing. Those that's obviously the technical term. Yeah, yeah. So I sell it for two fifty. Okay, was it the same price for pre order, or was it like uh, you know 
get in early and get a discount. Uh, no, it was it was two fifty uh, from the start. Yeah. Okay. So people are people are committed to this. They you know they've been following you for a long time. They love what you're up to, and they say yes, I'm I'm going to commit, even though this thing doesn't exist yet. I I trust Matt. I have looked at it. You know, I've watched him use his little prototype, and uh, I'm going to go for it. So so you go through, you collect the pre orders. This just is like a Gumroad sales page, and go to the machine shop, get these things manufactured, start sending them out. What happens after that? The next batch that was of 160. You know, I would say in March, oh man, I was I was fulfilling like 20, 30 orders, no, like 12, 12 orders a day, just nonstop. And I sold a ton in March, April. And then after that, you know, things kind of became steady and I began selling, you know, 30, 40 a month or whatever. And then that allowed me to project further demand because it does take six to eight weeks to have the stuff manufactured. So that it's it's always hard to gauge, but now I just try to order it way in advance. Like I don't want to be out of stock because that's that's lost dollars, you know. Okay, are you warehousing this stuff in your garage? It looks like the the pieces themselves are relatively small. Yeah, so I have a wire rack that I bought from Home Depot. It's on wheels, and it's like a what eighteen inch deep by six foot wide or whatever, and it's four shelves, and it houses everything from a shipping material all the way to the product. So it doesn't take up a whole lot of space, to be honest, which is awesome. Yeah, you're doing your own your, your own fulfillment center at this point. Talk to me about the shipping side of things. I guess you can schedule like UPS to come pick up at your at your house, but it's like man, all like the packaging and and all of the especially you're doing international. It says you sent these to a couple dozen different countries. Like all that stuff has got to be a challenge to navigate. Yes, definitely. And you know what? I, I think shipping this thing was more difficult than actually designing it, to be honest. I mean, it's just a huge pain in the butt. So in the beginning, I started using USPS, the United States Postal Service. And for domestic, it's fine. It's two to three days anywhere at a flat rate, uh, no issues there. But internationally, I I chose it to begin with because they had flat rate as well and they were the, the lowest price. But this also happened with COVID and it was taking up to two months to deliver to the UK or Australia or whatever. Oh, wow. And, you know, they kept saying COVID, COVID, you know, whatever. <laughs> and that may be the case, but that's not fair to me or, or the customers, you know, cause they kept emailing me, Hey, where is it? And, you know, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to go to the post office with a tracking number and asking questions of where your package is. You're not, you're not going to get anywhere, you know, so I was like, oh, okay, I got, I got to look into something else. So I set up an account with DHL and, you know, again, the learning curve of filling out customs paperwork and all this stuff for international. But uh, I got through that and I set up my website with a plugin to calculate live rates for customers. So that way when they check out and I get the order and then I go to DHL to fill out the, the shipping label, everything's good. Do you remember what plugin that was in case other people want to do the same thing? I think it's Elex Tech or something. E-L-E-X. I think Elex is the DHL plugin. And actually the DHL representative uh, recommended that one to me. Okay. And it's it's pricey. It's like 70, 80 bucks or whatever. And, uh, but man, it's awesome. And 
what's nice is uh, with the post office, USPS, I drive to the post office and drop off all the packages. Um, I guess I could schedule pickups, but it's nearby. DHL comes straight to my house and they pick up off my doorstep. So all I got to do is throw the package in front and boom, they pick it up and it's, it's done. And it's amazing how fast it is. It gets from Chicago to the UK in three days, Australia, like a week or two. I mean, it's just super fast. Wow. That's pretty cool. Sometimes, sometimes stuff gets lost in the mail and you're like, ah, I don't know. It's in, it's in God's hands now. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, where it is. Exactly. But, uh, Fortunately, I haven't really, uh, I think, you know, actually uh, there was a package that was out there for two months and the guy's like, dude, where the customer's like, where is it at? I'm like, all right, I'll send you another one. I'm, I got DHL now. And guess what? The DHL package and the post office package came at the same day. So I, I lost out on a, you know, a couple bucks there, but you know, whatever. So it's a learning process, right? Yeah, is <laughs> absolutely. Is there a target, I guess, gross margin that you're shooting for on these physical product sales? Yeah. So how I came up with the 250 number is the one gun that I told you was from so-and-so company that was pretty good. I think his cost about 180, but you couldn't get it. Right. And I, I made some improvements that I thought were worth paying for. And then early on in the design of the part, like the one of the first couple iterations, I had, it's made of seven parts, okay? I think I had four or five custom parts uh, that would need to be machined and no, that drives up cost, right? Yeah. And as time went on, I'm like, you know what? I can, I can do this off the shelf. I can get that one off the shelf and, and this one, or I can simplify it. So the cost came down as the, the design iterations went on, but I kept that 250 price the same and, and my cost went down. So the margin increased, if you will. So I just left it. Okay. And it typically goes down like the bigger order you place too, right? Exactly. So, you know, when I get these uh, priced out, I'm like, Hey, what are my price breaks? What's what, you know, there's a price break at 50, a hundred, 150, you know, you know, whatever. It's at some point it plateaus off. Right. So I'm, I'm comfortable with, with batches of 160. It lasts four to five months here in inventory. So that's what I've been doing. Are you selling through Amazon or any other third-party platforms or just kind of through your own website? Yeah, just on my website, I paid a guy, a developer on Upwork to set up WooCommerce on my site. I just had too much going on at the time to do it myself. I actually tried uh, doing it myself and I think I clicked one wrong button and everything went to hell. And then I'm like, all right, you know what? I got to focus on other things. So I paid... I think a hundred bucks or something for a guy to, to clean it all up and make it nice. Well worth the money, honestly. <laughs> so, yeah, I was going to ask if it was still through Gumroad cause it's primarily known for digital products. Um, so it's gotta be WooCommerce for the shipping capabilities and uh, for the physical side of things. Yeah. So in the beginning, the first pre-order of 50, I did through Gumroad and, and what was super inconvenient at the time is I had to copy and paste all the shipping info from there to say USPS site. So go to doing 50 packages like that is so time consuming. I think now they have uh, some kind of integration with ShipStation or some other shipping platform where you can take your orders and 
put it on a different platform where you can generate labels very quickly just by the click of the button. But I don't think that was available at the time. WooCommerce just makes it easy. I mean, I generate labels with just a couple clicks and, you know, it's so much faster. Okay. Did you ever give any thought? Well, I guess you tried to like, can I just be a distributor for this thing that already exists? Like it's good enough, but any thought to, you know, slapping your brand on products that already exist and say, look, I got this existing audience, especially the stuff that you're already selling as an affiliate, you know, maybe it makes sense to like bring that in house instead of taking a 4% affiliate commission. Like maybe I could get 10, 20% margin as a, like a wholesale distributor. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've given that some thought. My brother actually has an e-commerce store uh, where he sells on eBay and he, man, he, his basement is just full of product. I mean, I don't know if I want to, uh, you know, pack that much stuff and, and there has to be a certain percentage to shoot for. I mean, I don't think I would do it. You know, it's gotta be 10, 20% or whatever. Otherwise, you know, I'm not, I'm not interested, you know, what was the markup again on the, um, blast gun? Yeah. So it, it's a hundred to make and two fifty uh, price. Okay. All right. I can't do math, but that's like, you know, almost a three X. Yeah. Okay. So plenty yeah. of plenty of margin to play with there versus, um, especially if you're having to commit to pre-buying a bunch of inventory. Okay, yeah, there's other considerations on the physical product side. Are you, are you going to expand the catalog? What's coming down the pipeline here? Yeah, so I have three sizes available right now, meaning to match up what size compressor people have, how much air available they have. So I'm coming out with a fourth size, and um, it's geared towards people with smaller compressors. And, and again, I did a video. I said, hey, who would be interested in such a size? And a lot of people said, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'm up for it. So I came up with a prototype, tested it, de- did a demo, a YouTube demo on it. And I said, hey, if you guys want this, get on a wait list. And, and what I try to stress with the wait list is like, hey, I'm doing this in a small batch. Get on the wait list and you'll get first dibs at the, the, the inventory that comes in because it sold out last time. So I try to get some urgency going here, right? So this new size comes out mid-February is when I'll have parts. And um, I got a wait list of 40, 50 people or whatever. So yeah, ultimately that's going to help me sell more guns per month. And um, also what I'm trying to do is come up with some different nozzles to get different spray patterns. And then the nozzles are made out of different materials for different uh, uh, wear life. So I'm going to try to expand a little bit on that again, to sell more guns per month. Okay. So now you've got this uh, expanding physical product line. You've got still the digital plans on how to fix motorcycle problems, get the digital plans on how to build your own vapor blaster. I wanted to circle back on those for a second, because you mentioned having three or four different pricing tiers there. And could you explain what those are, what people get at the different levels? Sure. So it starts at 69 bucks and that's for a machine that has like a base model if you will it doesn't have a lot of features it's less it's a simplified machine and then for 99 you get uh, a more advanced featured machine and and the feature here is it's called open versus closed loop and the open loop you have to have hooked up to a garden hose and the closed loop is self-contained and it has more automation features built into it. So those are the two differences there between 69 and 99. 
when you go to 149, I actually built a cabinet out of plywood and I made it waterproof. And that's the plans for 149 because it's much larger. And just so you know, my plans are for people to take a dry blast cabinet that you buy new or used, which is made out of steel or plastic or stainless steel or whatever, and you have to convert it. Now, these wood plans, it's both a, a wet and dry blast cabinet and you cut it out of five sheets of plywood and you screw it all together, glue it up, put some waterproofing product in it. And, uh, you got a nice cabinet that's built out of wood. It's hilarious. <laughs> okay. And the same thing, like the nine one ninety nine is the, the top end there. So the one ninety nine is a bundle, uh, where you get the, the wood cabinet plans and also the, the other plans for converting a steel one. That way they can make the decision to do whatever they want. They get all the information. There's just tons of different ideas as far as building one goes. Okay. I like this, you know, price discrimination and discrimination is a dirty word, but like this price discrimination is a really common strategy to like, let people kind of self-select in a way, like pay for what they want. And, you know, somebody wants the, like you said, somebody wants the base model. Here it is. Somebody wants the higher end thing. You know, they can go for that too. And so I think that's a smart way to do that versus just saying, here's, here's one flat price. But I've seen people do it both ways, you know, make it, you know, make the decision easy for me versus uh, this. So it's like all on kind of one sales page. And I'm imagining like this, you know, the common, like uh, horizontally presented pricing menu, you know, good, better, best type of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and not only that is if you buy a base model machine, I will eventually email you with saying, Hey, do you want to upgrade to the better plans for a discount? You know, I try to lure them in for a little, a little off, you know, 10 off, 20 off, whatever it is. And I say, Hey, here, here they are. If you want to upgrade or, or maybe the steel one you bought is too small. You want to build a bigger one. Here's a discount on the wood plants, you know? So I try to try to upsell later on. Okay. Is that uh, over email based on like, okay, this customer ordered, I guess you're tracking emails through Gumroad or is it a different email marketing system that you have? No, you can do it right through Gumroad. Uh, they call it workflows. So after a customer buys, you can send an email one hour after they buy, three days, two months, whatever you want. And um, so I drip the content that way or the emails rather, sorry. Is there a sales funnel, so to speak, um, where, you know, somebody watches your YouTube video, you pitch the, you know, motorcycle garage self-repaired cheat sheet, like here's the 10 tools that you need to have. They, they jump on your email list and then you like slowly tell them what other products they should buy. Yeah, no, not yet. You know, that's like on my list of things to do and I just never get, got there. But yeah, I, I... I almost say it in jest because it doesn't sound like you need it. Yeah, I mean... So here's the thing. I don't have a very general product to pitch to these people because what are the chances that this subscriber or, or that the, the, they take this free lead magnet that they'll need a vapor blaster or how to rebuild an engine on this and this and that? Very unlikely. I need a very general product to pitch and for that to work, I think. you know. Yeah, the general lead magnet I think could work because anybody who's watching you obviously has a motorcycle they're a do-it-yourselfer right so there's like there's a little bit of audience self-selection there like the biggest risk that i see just from an outsider looking in is the reliance on youtube it's like okay if i could get some of these people 
off of that ecosystem should there be an algorithm update, should there be anything that happens. Uh, so at least have the means of communicating with them through another channel, like a fail-safe channel. But it, you know, as terms of a product funnel, you know, maybe that doesn't make as much sense, but at least you have some means of follow-up. Yeah, I mean, but from a sales funnel standpoint, here's kind of what I do. Let's say I want people to build, uh, buy my, my vapor blaster plans. I have like 40 videos out there on vapor blasting, all kinds of different stuff showing how this machine works, what it can do in various projects. And I always mention, oh, I, I restored this part in this. And all those videos point to the product page, whether it's on Gumroad or my website to help, you know, sell the, the, the plans. Yeah. Okay. So that's a funnel in it in a way. You know? Yeah. There's a lot of inroads there where people could discover you. Are you doing any like website specific content or is it primarily YouTube, like blog posts type of stuff? Yeah, I do blog posts, uh, not too many, but when I feel I need to do it to explain something, I will like, so yes, 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 I do. What's a typical day in the life at this point? I know you've still got the day job. You've got, I think you had three kids last time we spoke. So there's like the family side thing. That's up to four now. (laughs) Okay. Congratulations. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. As far as time spent, I'm an early bird. So I usually wake up five in the morning and I'll I'll take care of uh, some emails and whatever in, in the morning, or I'll work on video editing. I don't come out here too late at night anymore. Cause I mean, man, I'm, I'm so tired by the end of the day, you know, with four kids and, you know, a million dishes to do and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I would say I spend about five to seven hours a week on this business. Wow. You got it scaled to a point where it doesn't require that much hands-on time. Everything is really leveraged where it's like, it takes, of course, it takes the same effort to create a video that, you know, 10 people watch or one that, 10,000 people watch. So there's some uh, interesting leverage, like you said, built over the course of the last 10 years, but happy to see where it has uh, gotten you at this point. With the income that the business is producing today and where you might project it to go uh, following this similar trajectory over the last five, six years, any plans to take this full time? Yeah. So, you know, my wife's in school right now. She's going... I mean, yes, I, I would love to do this full time, right? And I, I actually, years ago, I told myself if I ever get to this income level, which is now more than my day job, by the way, I said, I'm, I'm quitting, you know, I'm, I'm quitting. But we have been in stash mode. I'm just stashing so much for whatever, a rainy day or a new house or, or whatever. It's kind of nice to just keep that growing for the time being, at least. Now my wife's in school, so we gotta, you know, we're paying our way through that. She'll she'll be done in two or three years. She'll be able to work uh, full time. All the kids will be in school full time. Uh, maybe that that'll be the time to to just say, hey, this is I'm good. <laughs> you know? All right, we gotta do what do what works for you. I'm excited for you because not everybody has that optionality, and I think that's kind of the maybe the biggest benefit of building the side hustle is like all of a sudden. If some, you have, you know, three bad meetings at work, whatever, you know, some people have their rules, you know, five bad days. Okay. Count them down. And then I'm out of here. It's nice to have that, uh, that freedom and flexibility there. Matt, this has been awesome. How to motorcycle repair.com. Check him out over there. We'll link up his YouTube channel as well. It's Matthew MC repair is the uh, channel name or username over there. We'll link that up. 
Um, really appreciate you joining me again, sharing the ins and outs of just kind of the little, you know, the different directions that things can go uh, once you're in motion. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway for me, the different, you know, you know, you, you've, you've done an excellent job of working in public and kind of following these different rabbit trails where they lead you and having the audience support you along the way. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation 2022 edition, and then we'll take a trip down memory lane and revisit the advice from the first uh, couple episodes. All right. So I would recommend people to just be involved in their space and just just wait for opportunities. If you asked me what vapor blasting was a couple years ago, I had no idea what it was. None. And here I am today where I saw an opportunity to to create plans how to build it, build this physical product. I, I didn't know what any of this stuff was a couple of years ago. So just be involved in your space. When people are asking you for ways to solve their problem, that's a product idea right there. Yeah, I love that. So much more difficult if you're coming at this from the niche or product ambivalence stage. You know, if you're just looking at Jungle Scout, trying to research something like, well, what's, you know, what's selling really well? It's like, okay. Yeah, for every person like you, there's somebody else who's like neck deep in this space and just like knows and loves it and has been doing it for 10 years and they're going to have an edge. And by the way, they've been building up this audience by working in public who's going to support them in their in their projects, in their endeavors, in their pre-orders. So I really like that call to be involved in your space. Uh, 2016 advice. Do you have a guess? <laughs> Do you have to have a guess to remember what it was? Uh, was it if you build it, they will come? That was, was 2019. That? that was 2019. Oh, okay. So that was very good. That's kind of the the opportunities oh, will show I know up. What it was. Go ahead. The expert in anything was once a beginner. Oh my goodness. How did you remember that? But yes, you were 100% correct. An expert in anything was once a beginner. One of my favorite bits of advice, something really important to remember, kind of the corollary to John A. Cuff's, like, you know, don't compare your beginning to somebody else's middle, right? It's just, uh, you know, uh, everybody got to start somewhere. Every all-star was once a rookie. Every expert was once a beginner. Matt, really appreciate you joining me. Thanks for sharing your insight once again. Number three uh, on the show, we'll link up his previous episodes as well. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.